Recorded live. From Coolidge, Arizona, on October the 19th, 2017. We welcome everyone back into the Thursday night class session again. We have um, seven or more lessons left in the book of Revelation, which is where we will be tonight in chapter 21. This chapter that we're dealing with now is the summit, is where the summit of the book is reached. We won't be dealing with all of the um, background and evidences that we dealt with going through these two chapters at the beginning of this series, which was about 100 lessons ago or more, Uh, but we will be doing a um, summary, and hopefully it'll tie things together for you. We have a question, though, to begin with tonight about the dating of the book. Since the destruction of Jerusalem is a major topic of New Testament scriptures, not just Revelation, why is it that there is not one single book or verse that tells about Jerusalem's destruction as a past event. I want that to soak in. I'm suggesting that it is because all of the books of the Bible, all 27 books of the New Testament, as we refer to it as, were all written before that great destruction. It is referred to as the end of the age. Some of the translations say the end of the world, but it's the the word ionos, uh, which means age. It was at the time of the end of the ages, and it's very dateable. It's datable as A.D. 70. That's his historical document, folks. So the, that's, that's the greatest event, Mark 13. The greatest event, he says, of all time regarding the Jewish people. The great casting out of God's natural people with their physical and sacrificial system. Uh, when the Jewish temple was, destro- was destroyed... It shows the greatest climax the people of God had ever seen or ever will. That's the theme of Mark chapter 13. Why was it not mentioned in any of the 27 books then as a past event if it is indeed that great of an event? How were they able to ignore it? Why was it not confirmed that indeed Jesus' prophecy had taken place? And I think we know the answer, if you've been with me, all the way through. That the writers of the books of the New Testament did not write about A.D. 70 as a past event, including the book of Revelation, because all of the books of the New Testament were written by A.D. 63. 
give or take a year. That's why. So we have in Revelation now, ending in chapter 20, the complete removal of the old system, the destruction of the temple, the fall of the city, it was all over. So the ground has been prepared. That's why in verse 1 of chapter 21 now, he says, now, now, upon what we've just been over for 137 lessons, 136 lessons, now I see a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Those represent some provision that God has made for man. We can say that it's at least at least two prior times, the, the the heavens, the heavens and the earth of Genesis one is God making a provision to resolve the sin issue. And in that, there was a Garden of Eden place, which we'll deal more with at a later session. But it was the place where God made a provision for man, beginning with the Garden of Eden, with the Tree of Life. And then God had made a promise to Abraham. This is all redundant to you folks, but just to bring us up to speed. And so he added that promise. He added the law And now that law encompassed as a covenant agreement with a nation of people, that nation of people now represented the new earth of Palestine, and the heaven, of course, was the what? The temple. The temple, because it represented God's position with the people and the new earth. So the new heaven and the new earth of the old covenant uh, was of Israel. Israel is the is the um, in Revelation. Israel is the old heaven, the prior heaven and earth. Now he sees a new provision. Now it took forty years of preparation from Acts chapter two. It took forty years of preparation for there to be the new heaven in its completed form. And I would like to also mention here that in verses 1 and 2, which maybe we ought to go ahead and read, then I see a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. The first heaven and the first earth were whom or what? Palestine and the temple. All right. The, The temple and Palestine... And there is no longer any sea. And I might just mention that the, the sea then being gone means there is no longer a division between the people. Remember what had come out of the sea? The, gen, the, the uh, Gentile tyrants against um, Israel, um, representing the Gentile people primarily or altogether. So there's no longer any distinction. That's why the sea is gone. No longer any divisions amongst the people. And he sees, in verse 2, a holy city, 
New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God or out of God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The summit is reached. This is what everything in the scriptures have been leading to. And the revelation, the book of Revelation is clearing out all of the old, the first prior heaven and earth to make room for that new provision that God has in mind for man that he's had for man all the way from the beginning. This is it. But you'll notice in those two, two verses that the, the apostles are absent. And there's a reason why they are absent, because what has happened to the apostles? They're gone. They're gone. They, 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 have been, they have been raptured. And then in verse 3, we have the conclusion. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then in verse 4, we're going to talk about the difference. So keep those things in mind as, as we move along here through that today. <clears throat> so up to this point, we have seen, uh, in Revelation, we, we have seen um, the throne established. We have, we have seen the, the beginning of the new, but the old was in the process of being removed. That's the book of Revelation. And now that has all been accomplished at the end of chapter 20. Now we have a new heaven and a new earth coming into view. The first has passed away. And now we have in that new heaven and the new earth, there is a holy city. Now, why is it called a city? Neil and I were attending a class um, recently, and they say from... 74 A.D. on, that the relationship that you have with God is simply and entirely individual. Really? Now, I don't buy that. Now, we have an individual responsibility, our, our responsibility to be a part of this. But it's a city. What is a city? That's where people gather. The city is made up of lots of people. This is where people come together. He didn't say that he saw a stump, a single stump. He saw a city. A city is made up of people, not a ghost town. And what is its name? It's the New Jerusalem. It had begun with Acts, but now it was complete. The apostles, the apostles had done their homework. The foundation had been laid. No longer a need for a foundation. No longer a need for the things that established the foundation. The apostles are gone. They have been raptured. And what we have left then is the completed city, the whole city, and it's going to be called the New Jerusalem. And where did it come from? Nauvoo, Illinois? It came from God. It came down out of the heaven from the God. And those are specific articles there that are not maybe in your text. At least I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, 
the city. So the, the city, do you remember that discussion we had, Neil, on, on, that, on that topic? I do. Um, and, and so that's why here, here what he is saying is, is not just something that can be individually, it must be individually entered, but when you enter something, you're, you're becoming a part of a group, a city, he calls it. And it's referred to as New Jerusalem. Its source is heaven. And this New Jerusalem, this holy city, had been made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So the preparation had been done. How long had it been in preparation? Forty years. From Acts chapter 2 till now, from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., is give or take 40 years, right? So 40 years is kind of a key number throughout the Bible, you know, 40 years here and 40 years there. And now we had 40 years of of preparation for God to bring down as a provision for all of humanity this holy city referred to as the New Jerusalem, and its source is God. And it was made ready, prepared, Go in verse 3. Any questions? Let's, um, maybe we ought to take time to read. Um, Let's go to Romans chapter 4. And this is maybe a summary to this point. Romans chapter 4 and verse 13. For the promise to Abraham... So remember that the the big picture of the scriptures is not covenant. But the big picture of the scriptures is promise. What good would it do to you, what good would it do to have a covenant if there were no promise? Because the purpose of a covenant is to make sure that the terms of the promise are met and be able to be carried out. So we are a not we are a promise people, not a covenant people. But every promise has a covenant. But the covenant is always secondary to the promise. So we preach and teach the promises of God, and with each of those promises, God has established a covenant. That means there are terms that you and I must meet in order for God to be responsible for what He has agreed to. We work together with God in a covenant. 4.13, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now I want to make another statement of clarification. We believe, I believe, that this is the point where the situation of faith now becomes complete. It's not natural versus spiritual. I'm not sure what spiritual means. Can anybody give me a real definition 
I mean, a real definition of what it means to be spiritual? Well, think about where the word comes from. It comes from the word breath. But it's an adjective, right? Spiritual is an adjective. So what does that word really mean? So what we're hearing in some of the preterist movement today is that now everything is spiritual. Well, to me, that means kind of mysticism. That's a mystical connotation. That's why I prefer that we use the language, what the scriptures use, not that we're in a spiritual age at all. We, it is spiritual, that's as an adjective, but we are in the situation of faith perfected. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world, not being spiritual. Not leaving the natural body. Not leaving the natural body. We have victory before that. We had a victory, but now it's believing what God has said about things you cannot see. And the difference between now and what it was under the law and during the apostolic age was that the people then had physical evidence. Now we must believe the report of that evidence which keeps us in the situation of faith. We do not know what God does or does not do because we do not live by sight. We live by faith. We do not know what God may or may not be doing in our world today. We might have some guesses, but that's all it's going to be. We have to live now by what God has said about things that we cannot see. That's why I just, I just hate it when people say, well, I know God did this. You don't know that God did that. You know, David, even being born wasn't, even being born, which is when you receive your spirit, I would imagine, or when your spirit and your body comes together, even, even that wasn't sufficient. And Jerusalem proved it. So, you know, I don't know what the definition of spiritual is, but I do know that if each of us as individuals at some point inside of us, not physically but mentally or with our heart or however you want to put it, that's when you decide, I want to follow the word. I trust that it's the way. Sure. And and a lot of that is because of example people that we admire and stuff that we're sure that they wouldn't lead us the wrong way intentionally. intentionally. So that's spiritual, you know. I mean, and that's, that's I right. think that whatever that little voice is that talks to us, I think that's what's still around after everything else was gone. There's a conscience, and the conscience, but the conscience has to be properly instructed. You know, Paul said, "Wow, I killed Christians in my." In good conscience. I've lived before God in good conscience to this day, yeah. even when I was slaughtering all those Christians. Yeah. You yeah. see, the conscience has to be properly instructed, or it's only as valuable as how it's been taught. So we have to teach it. But I think that when I said, you know, I haven't a clue as to what the word spiritual means, I mean, from how it's being used today, particularly in the preterist movement, we agree with them on the fulfillment of prophecy, but I believe they're going too far, and we have to be very careful about going beyond what the scriptures teach. Well, David, it's like you always 
I mean, it's like you've said so many times. It's faith that cures the sin issue. That's right. Right? Yeah. Not some spooky... Uh, well, or, even in baptism, we, we do something that is very natural, not real water. It's real water. I mean, you can drink it. You might not want to here, but, you know, most places you can drink the water. And, and, but we don't know that God does anything. But he said that when we're baptized, then he adds us to the body. So do we know that? We only know it because we believe what God has said about things we cannot see. We can't see that. We come to the, table, we come to the Lord's table, and it's the renewal of our covenant with God through the blood of Christ. We partake of those emblems. Does anything happen that we can see and touch and feel? No. We only understand that because of what God has said, we partake and we believe we have a faith in what God has said about the effect of what we cannot see. We are in the situation of faith. And anything that brings us to certainty is anti-Christian. Anything that wants you to establish yourself in some level of certainty. I know God did this. I know God do that. We got to do this. We got to do that. You ain't got to do nothing where you can say, I know God did it or didn't do it. We don't know that. That doesn't mean he didn't or that he can't or that he won't. It means we just simply do not know because as soon as we do, we have moved out of salvation into damnation. We cannot move from faith into certainty. And not only that, we may be taking the credit away from someone who gave a perfectly good effort. That's right. And God doesn't want us to do that either. Because that's real. He has commissioned the church to do all of these things. He's not going to step in and violate what he has given for the church to do. He's not going to do it for us. He's not going to do that. We have to live by faith. Faith has been my objective for as long as my very first message here was Abraham. I remember that. And I laid out my definition of the situation of faith, and I've been on course of that all the time. You probably didn't know that. (laughs) I think we've heard people say uh, that someone has spiritualized something. And I think this idea of saying it's spiritual many times is just trying to define the things that we don't really understand. So it has to be spiritual. We can't understand it so it's spiritual. Uh, that's what we think. So you're saying it's right. Well, yeah, or it, it's kind of a cover-up for ignorance. It gives you a lot of wiggle room if you use that terminology because you can apply that to yourself or to somebody else any way you particularly care to. Well, when you say it's spiritual, you're saying, I can't see it, and neither can you. So no one's got the answer. Yeah. Um, so we, we need to stop doing that. That's right. Because we have God's Word, and we have faith. And those, that's the catalyst to understanding. <clears throat> it could be that spiritualism is what people are applying to the, the feeling that you have. For instance, when you take the communion and you feel like you've actually physically had communion with God, then you have a, this inner spiritual feeling, if you will, or I do, 
and I imagine most Christians do, um, that you've made a connection there. Yeah. And you know, you could call that spiritual, I guess, but it's still all faith-driven. It's, it's, it's all faith-driven. It's your emotions, which is is probably where you get the, the spiritual thing. Now, if it's if spiritual is an adjective, and the word spirit comes from the word meaning what? Breath. Breath. It means it's the carrier. It's the carrier of information of one way or another. So I realize there is a real true meaning for the word spiritual, but I was addressing it how it's being used today. In application. In application. It just, there's no definition that really fits. And they're using it that uh, uh, in some of the movement that, you know, we've, we've been involved with, they're using it for a nebulous thing out here. But if it's spiritual, it means it has had its source with the nature and the character of God. That's spiritual. And the word is used biblically speaking. And, but they confuse 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man versus the spiritual man. Well, that had nothing to do with the natural man was the man who was not apostolic. And the spiritual man was the one who was going to experience the things of Acts chapter 2. The apostles. That was the distinction in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at it. We, we've been through there before. Not talking about anybody else. I mean, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing sinful about being a natural man. Jesus was a natural man. As soon as you make him anything else, you, he loses everything that he ever had. And he's of no good to you. He can't be our high priest. Can't be our high priest. His resurrection means nothing. If God is resurrected, so what? But if a man can be raised from the dead, now that and remain alive, that's, that's something worthy to grasp hold of. We're the only people in the town that believe that, folks. Let's read on. <clears throat> Verse 3. <clears throat> so we have a bride. We have a city <clears throat> that has come down from God. It has come down. It's not talking about heaven. He's not, this is not talking about a heavenly scene because it has come down out of heaven and everything is new. That means in contrast to what we've just been through in the book of Revelation, it means that we have a new priesthood, we have a new high priest, we have new sacrifices, we have a new kingdom, all of a different nature. The former things have all passed away. And we have this city has a name and is described as a bride adorned for her husband. It is prepared and ready and it took 40 years to get there. We call that a long courtship. Verse 7. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is amongst men, and he will dwell among them. You see, it isn't heaven here that he's talking about. That's where everybody in town is probably thinking this is talking about heaven. But you see, it's where God comes and dwells among us. If it were heaven, 
it would be us going to where God is and we dwelling with him, right? right. Now, that's not what it is. It's God coming to where men are. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. I think we want to go to 2 Corinthians and read one passage. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter... Let's start with verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Rhetorical questions. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with a non-believer? Well, there are some things we have in common. But he's talking about the things that distinguishes one between being a believer and a non-believer. That doesn't that means you got two feet, you got two hands, and you got two ears, you got two eyes, you got two nostrils. We have those things all in common. That's not what he's talking about. Or what agreement in verse 16 has the temple of God with idols? For we, we are the temple of the living God. It does not say I am a temple of the living God. We as a corporate body are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them or among them and walk among them. They should both be amongst, by the way. In has a plural object. It should never be translated in. I will dwell among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now he says because of this, see in verse, verse 16, we are the temple of the living God. We the church in Corinth, we are the temple of the living God. He said, we are the fulfillment of I will dwell among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, you have certain responsibilities. And he goes on then to describe what some of those are. But right now, that lines up with where we are in verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is now among men. Paul says that's already true in the book of Corinth, but it wasn't full. It wasn't complete. Because of why? What was the one obstacle in, in, in 2 Corinthians, where we are in chapter 6, what was the one obstacle that kept this from being a completed picture? The destruction of the temple. The temple. There, there, was still, there was still the temple there. There was still the, the Jerusalem. And the, so we have a transition period of 40 years. It took 40 years for God to get completed, to be freed from all of the things that were a part of the old law. But it began in Acts chapter 2. So to be a Christian, you need to be where the Weans are. You have to be where the Weans are to be a Christian. Because God is not among you 
And by the way, it's 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 among you all. Right. You know, he, he's not in you individually. He is among you. He dwells among us. And verse four, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, why would why would there why would this be referring to heaven? Why would you have tears that needed to be wiped away if you were already in heaven? Does that make sense? Maybe they have onions up there. Or it could be. <laughs> well, they better. So. Amen. Or what? Alex said they better, and I said amen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm thinking they had to wipe away the grin off my face if you were already in heaven. Yeah, yeah. So, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will be, now, because, we, now listen, we've got to pay attention to everything that's said here. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain because, what? The first thing. Because the first things have passed away. He doesn't say that Christians will never have a need to cry. He doesn't say that Christians will never experience physical death. He's not saying that the Christians will never have a time of mourning, weeping, or pain. He's not saying that at all, in spite of Jimmy Swaggart. He's talking about the things that were caused by the first things, the old law. He's talking about the tears that came from living under the Ten Commandments and all of its sacrificial, moral, and ceremonial aspects. He's talking about those things. He's talking about the death that came from the law. He's talking about the mourning and the crying and the pain that was a part of the first things of the law, because that's what we've been getting rid of throughout the book of Revelation. So he's not saying that the church is going to be apart from all of these things, but the cause for them will not be the same as it was under the first things, under the old heaven and earth. No longer will it be the cause. Now there will be circumstances of life, because we live in a real world. We live in a physical world. We live in a world that is out of order. A lot of things go wrong. You can't do anything about that. You can only deal with how you respond to it. But the first things have passed away. These things will never be apart as having been caused by the system under which you live. The system under which we live today does not produce these situations. But the old one did. It brought about tears and death and longings and mournings and crying and pain. But the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that has come down out of heaven, these things are no longer there as having been caused by the new system. That, that would apply to the discussion we had in Acts about now being forgiven versus carrying your guilt with you. Sure. You know, 
That would be one of the things that passed away with that. That's right. That's that was excellent from Acts 13. And I was also thinking in relationship to the Acts study is how about the righteous Gentile, David? And we know that there were some. There were some. There were proselytes. And how about their tears? Yeah. They're also wiped away. They're, yeah. Now they're in. And that, no one, no one, it is, that isn't talked about. No. And I mean, the Word talks about it, but the churches don't. No. Okay, well, you understand where I'm going on verse 4? Let's go to verse 5. And he who sits on the throne, I am making all things. Now, remember that this is a vision. This is the seventh vision of the book. It carries from Revelation 21, verse 7, through chapter 22, verse 5. And and so, remember, he is seeing this vision in advance to it having reached fruition. Remember? He's not reading us. He's not telling us about these things as historical. He's talking still about them as being prophetic. And we know that the prophecy was fulfilled in 70 A.D. So we're before 70 A.D. He's leading us up. And so he says, I am making, I continue in the process of making all things new. See, prophetically, we haven't reached the destruction of Jerusalem yet. We have in the book of Revelation, but remember, it's, writing, it's, given, it's given it to us prophetically. Here we are seeing what happens when the Jerusalem temple is destroyed and what God has in mind and how it comes into play with you and me today, but it had not yet happened. So I am in the, I am in the process in verse 5 of making all things new. It's in the present tense. There was a process. And then he says, Boy, I'm sure glad. <laughs> Alex looked it up, and sure enough, you know, I, I see, it, says, it just says, I make all things. Well, that's huge, though, Dave, and, and the concept that we're studying it. Yeah. Or the context, I mean. So, so, you see, he couldn't say that in the uh, aorist, I have made all things, because then it would say that Revelation, this prophecy has not already been fulfilled. So he can't, he can't go there. Or I will make. So I am making. I'm in the process of making. Or he could, he could say I will make. But, no, he was, in the, he was doing it right then. I am making all things new. I'm right now, I'm in the process of doing what it is we've just been talking about in verses 1 through 4. Why, write for these words, write. Now you've got something you can write down. Don't write it down to you sure, but now you can write it down for these words are faithful and true. <clears throat> now look at, uh, look at these verses again. In verses 1 and 2, prepared as a bride, made ready, and actually that word means to be God had prepared the new Jerusalem as a, didn't say she was, it was a bride, but that it was prepared as a bride would be prepared, right? He's using a symbol, and, and it is fully prepared. The apostles have done their work. 
that they have gone throughout all of the known world and preached the gospel. Churches were established everywhere. Now the conclusion to that preparation is found in verse 3. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Folks, that's, that's, that's the conclusion. When he saw what took place in verses 1 and 2, now he gives to us the conclusion in verse 3, and that is God's presence with man, and it's where? It's in the New Jerusalem. It's in this holy city. And you better be a part of it, or you will not be a partaker of his favors. That's the conclusion. Now, the difference is in verse 5 between... What he's established here in verses 1, 2, and 3, the difference is discovered in verse 4. That's the difference. That the former things have passed away, and the former things that produced the tears, the death, the mourning, the crying, and the pain, the system, the system, the old heaven and earth that produced and generated these things will no longer be there. They have passed away. That's the difference between what is new and what was old. We ought to want to be a part of that which is new, where the system does not generate. Sometimes our churches do. We need to get over that. But the the system, the old system, the presence, or the God did not dwell amongst the people of the first covenant outside of the concept of his presence was in the temple and then though it was he didn't say his presence I'm going to be contradictory here didn't say that his presence was although there are some implications that that's true but it says my name will dwell there okay right Mm -hmm. and what does the word name mean it means the full full disclosure of what you are My name will be there now as he is with us. See the difference? Do you agree with that? I I do, and it made me think of what Jesus said. Uh, uh, God is spirit. So we can't think about it as a, a physical presence. And I guess we we could use the word spiritual presence. Well, we could, <laughs> in, in light of what I said earlier today. Yeah. But that, that is this, a good definition of the Spirit when we say God is Spirit. Jesus said that. Yeah. So obviously that's true. Now, we need to understand probably better what that means. Well, God, uh, God uh, he's done the best he can for us through his word, I think. If we could get rid of that word Spirit, you know, we'd be so far ahead if that had never yeah. been translated. Because it means, you know, it, because everybody conjures up a, a meaning that's not biblical. An apparition. Yeah. That's why the King James translates it ghost. Yeah. Okay. Let's read on. I've got to finish this. We only got half a minute. And I haven't got any of the text. I haven't done any of the notes yet. Um, I just have some notes scribbled along my inner linear here that I've been going from here today. But let me say before we read on, 
This is the fulfillment of God's dream, the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. This is the fulfillment. And the prior heaven and earth was added to the promise to usher in the Messiah so that the Messiah, with the establishment of the apostles, could build a base for the situation of faith in its completed form that we have presented to us here. I am making all things new. Everything is going to be no longer visible as it was under the law, but it's going to be through the situation of faith. So we've got to redefine faith. We've got to re-look at faith. We're saved through faith, not by sight. And sight is has its equivalent as certainty. Let me finish. Then, uh, and so, right for these words are faithful and true. Then he, then he said to me, in verse six. Then he said to me, "It may get done. It is done." It is done. It is done. When this, when when we get through verses one through five, he says, "Now, when this is completed, it is done. I have nothing left to do." That thrusts us into the situation of faith in a completeness that we cannot imagine. It takes away certainty and puts us into the situation of faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That's First John 5. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I can say it is Done. Can you look that word done up? And I know we're 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 getting a few minutes over time here. Um, okay. No, no, no. I did it. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't off course there. It it is done, and I I will give. I I will give. That that is that's right. Perfect tense means it is done. You know, just no other way you can say it. It is done. It has its beginning. It has, and everything, everything, there's nothing left. It is in the perfect tense. And indicative. And indicative means, means that time and kind of action is all completed. So I will give now to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life. Of the life. Thank you. The fountain of the water of the life that is clear, crystal clear. It hasn't been polluted. I had a lot to say there, but we'll move on. So he goes on in verse 7, and we complete our study tonight with this. He who overcomes will inherit these things. 
So he's talking again now back to his audience. You are going to go through a tribulation that you can't believe that Mark in chapter 13 says it's the worst tribulation that has ever been known since the creation of man and will ever be. There will be nothing like it after that. That's Mark chapter 13. You've been there many times. He he of you who overcomes. Now, you notice that the responsibility to the individual is here to do what? You have to be the overcomer. You can overcome if you know what we've just got through saying. Because that is what gives you something to hang on to. He who overcomes will inherit. If you don't overcome, you lose your inheritance. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And by that's a theme in itself. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Now there is an individual relationship tied of those who are in the new heaven and the new earth because they're a part of the right city, that its name is Jerusalem, and that has come down from uh, heaven. They're a part of that city, but individually they have overcome, and there you have now the individual identity between that one and God. Now we have what it means in Acts 2, the promise of the Spirit in verse 39 of chapter 2 is the promise of sonship. The promise that God has through his spirit to mankind is that when you are baptized into Christ, then you become the inheritor of the promises. The same thing is said in Galatians chapter 3, when we are baptized into Christ and we become sons of Abraham. Now we are joint heirs. We are now eligible for heirship. And we have a God-son relationship because we have joined the people, the group, the city, the church, the bride. And it's conditional. To these people who were reading this, they had to be overcomers in order to be a participant in the inheritance. Got to close, folks. Our time is up. It's gone. It's the best I can do with a lot of material. And you'll notice in the notes we didn't cover anything but maybe one verse. But that's all right. It's there for you if you ever want to go further. And any questions can be submitted. Let's close. Father, we are just overwhelmed with the richness of your word. and the inadequacy that we have as human beings to express it in all of its richness. May we be true to the spirit of the word, to its impact upon our mind and our hearts in every respect, and that is our commitment to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.